at our new series uh, as we journey. Often when we talk about Lent and we talk about Easter, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make this statement that we're on a journey toward the cross. And I think it's a false statement because we're not on a journey toward the cross. We're on a journey toward the empty tomb that brought us into new life. The cross was part of that, but that's not where it starts. Um, however, I, I want to pause. Uh, you heard my dad prayed for, and one thing I can say about our church is we are a tremendously loving church, and therefore many of you have questions, what's that mean? So it's easier for me to explain once uh, and let you know how you can pray. I got the dreaded uh, text this morning at about 4.30 in the morning that every expat, no matter where you live, hates to see. Mike, we're sorry to have to let you know we've had to rush your dad to the hospital. Something's wrong with severe headaches, and he's having uh, significant problems. They're running emergency CT scans. The tests will come back soon. We'll let you know, but don't worry. Parents, never tell your kid not to worry. That's another side note. You can take that up with my mother and my sister. Anyway, uh, the tests have come back. There is no sign of a stroke, so we're uh, pleased with that. However, I'm not pleased as the, uh, the, the son of the family and the one that spent a whole lot of time in hospitals. I don't like the diagnosis they've given, and I don't believe it. Um, they've asked him to wait 11 days and hope it gets better, essentially. And that's a long time. Uh, so I would appreciate your prayers. My mom uh, already thanks you for those of you that have been praying this morning, and we would appreciate you. To continue that, he's facing two surgeries in the next three weeks, one for his hip that we've prayed and another for uh, some neurological and sinus uh, issues. But uh, as my dad, and don't tell him I said this, but as my dad told my sister last week, he's tired and he doesn't know what else to pray. He's been so sick and in so much pain for so long. That's hard. Which leads us into our message this morning. Are things really that bad? Because sometimes it sure feels like it. You wake up and you get that text. You don't want to hear it. You wake up and you realize that your family's not doing the things they know they should be doing. You look around our world and you know, our world's got to know better than to continue making these choices, don't they? Yet we continue to do things that seem so self-destructive. What do I mean? The very prevalence of of the needs for military that we all can't get along shows that we're not getting along and seeking the good of each other's. We're seeking our own good. Now, if you have served in the the military, I thank God for you for protecting the freedoms that we have. But we wish there was a better way. Almost every soldier I've ever met has told me that. And one of them is shaking their hands right now. Or we look around at our leaders across the world who continue to struggle to lead in a manner that's morally right because the world continues to say we're going to change the metric. And we're faced with a couple questions, and I call it a false dichotomy this morning. And it really breaks down, and you can see in your bulletins, and I'm going to explain your sermon notes in a moment, so bear with me. But we've got either a picture of a world that looks around and says everything is broken, that the Lego movie lied to us. Everything is not awesome. If you've seen the Lego movie, you know what I'm talking about. And now you've got that song in your head and you're welcome. But often we will talk to people or you open up any newspaper, any time in the world, or you go to the BBC, CNN, uh, HK's, uh, South China Morning Post, the Apple Daily, they're wonderful purveyors of bad news. I can't even read it and I know it's bad news because I see the pictures. 
But across the time, we are purveyors of bad news, of complaining how bad things are, right? Yet, we turn around and we say, but man is inherently good. That we're good people. Right? If we go and we walked out into the street and asked that very question, is man good or evil? I would say nine out of ten people on the street are going to say man's good. Okay, well, if man is good, why do we find ourselves in the pickles and protests and you, you go on and on with the list? Even pop culture television shows have wrestled with this very question, and I'd like to show you what I mean. So see, see what, if you agree with the statement. Now, the biblical reference is dead wrong, but you can look past that and get the idea of the fact that even secular society wrestles with this question. And his German poet Franz Wickmeyer once wrote, Snow falls from the heavens pure. We cannot blame the snow for being soiled by the earth. If you couldn't understand him, he says man is good. What? That dude gets it. Jeff Wingman will now offer a two-minute rebuttal. Hey, Sizzle. What are you going to sing tonight? I'm in the mood for some Sade. Okay. In the Stanford prison experiment... 21 out of 21 students, when given absolute power, abused and tortured their fellow students. My competitor likened people to pure falling snow. I would respond, there is none righteous. No, not one. Now, I realize Mr. Simmons' quote was from the great Franz Wickmeyer. Mine was just from a simple desert handyman named Jesus. I turned my mic off. For the record, that quote isn't from Jesus. It's actually from King David uh, <laughs> and from other places in the Bible. But you get the idea that society continues to wrestle with this idea. Is man good or evil? If you watch the rest of that episode, it finishes with the, the, the man in the wheelchair trying to demonstrate that man is good, gets in a motorized wheelchair, launches himself at the other guy that's arguing man is bad, expecting Jeff to catch him thus demonstrating that man would help a fellow man in trouble. And Jeff indeed does catch him, and the guy looks up and says, man is good. And then one of the other team's teammates, who's a a female, turns around and kisses Jeff Winger, the guy that says man is evil, and instantly Jeff Winger drops the man that was in the wheelchair. And she simply states, man is is not good. We will always choose ourselves. This is a very real issue that we face every time we think about how do we, the church, live in society today? How do we wrestle with a world trying to make sense of all of this, from sick parents to painful situations to Christians inside the church that aren't acting very Christian? One of the big reasons this question exists so much is the church hasn't always done the greatest job of being a light to a dark world. 
So the question is, is thing, are things really that bad? Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito said this last week, which is depressing in and of itself, because when a Supreme Court justice speaks, it is always recorded, no matter what they say, because their words carry that much weight. In speaking to a group of uh, Catholic leaders, he was making the statement, repeating a statement that he had made in a court decision the year before. He says, a wind is picking up that is hostile to those with traditional moral beliefs. What's he mean by that? He means our world is changing and those of us that believe the ways of the Bible are to be true and followed The world, he's speaking specifically of America, but we're seeing it across the world. The world is changing. And holding traditional, moral, holy beliefs isn't seen as the best way anymore. It's actually seen as a terrible thing. It's seen as intolerant. And so how did we find ourselves in this place? How did we end up here? And why does it surprise us so much? Well, if you think about it, It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And I'm talking today to the church. So if you uh, have called on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, no matter where you worship on a regular basis, if you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are part of what we call the church with a capital C. The church universal is the word we use because we are all brothers and sisters together. And as such, we have a responsibility. And that responsibility goes all the way back to the instructions God gave the people of Israel. And you'll say, but Mike, we're told we're not under the law anymore. True, but there are certain things that we are still called to live out today. And one of those you find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we are called to love God fully. Why do I say that we're still under that law? Because Jesus summed up the entire law in this when he spoke. Because remember, the the Pharisees were trying to put him in a corner and trying to get him to trip over his words. And they asked him, uh, you know, what are the most important laws? And Jesus says, it really boils down to this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he combines it with another passage from Exodus And he said, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the rub. We as a society and we as individuals tend to love other things more, don't we? If we ask ourselves that question in the quietness of our hearts, if we ask ourselves, what do I love most? And then what what do you think of next? It could be any number of great things. I shared very honestly honestly with you, I adore my dad. He's one of my best friends. He's my mentor. He's my dad. He's one of the greatest men I know in Christ. And the fear that came over me this morning shouldn't have happened. I should have trusted the Lord with my dad's health. But in that moment, I grabbed it back and said, God, the doctors don't know enough. I know more let me help. And instantly, the affections of my heart had begun to sway. Is it wrong to care about my dad? Absolutely not. Just change this message a little bit. Made it a little more personal. But the affections of our hearts as a people are to be first aimed upward, trusting God with everything in life. 
And as I began to pray and as my focus began to shift, it was like, okay, I might not like the outcome, but I know there's a plan and things are at work. But we're called to love God because he first loved us. The people of Israel, time and again, as we just finished our series on Hosea, were taught that God treats his people as a spouse. Jesus gives us wonderful illustrations of the fact that we've been brought into his family. We've been called the friends of God. There's so many pictures of us being connected to God. And it's exciting and it's wonderful. And it's what we're invited into but <laughs> we deem him inconvenient at times. Or in today's society, we deem him intolerant because we want to go our own way. We want to do it our way according to our plan, according to our line of morality, line of right and wrong, line of social issues and social justice. And it's been great that we've begun to care more and more about social justice, the issues of society as a whole across the world. Unfortunately, we're still desperately in need of raising $5 million to build a, an eye hospital in Weso, Congo. And there is still great need there, greater need right now uh, than has been met. And so there's your invitation. If you didn't hear last week, we can be part of supporting building that hospital. And please read your bulletin and find out more and invite your friends to find out more. But there are these needs where 80 plus percent of people that are blind, especially in third world countries, have no need to be. Yet we're arguing about this and that, where so many people live on so little, less than $1 a day across much of the known world. And yet we, we argue about our comfort and about this and that because our eyes have been taken off of Jesus Christ and we've replaced the truth of God with a lie. And I can't cover all of that this morning. I can't go through all of the first three chapters of Romans so I'm going to give you a summary because I'm introducing a new way of doing church at AIC that we're going to start following. You'll notice a few pages in your bulletins this week, right? First, you've got your sermon notes. For those of you that need to fill in the blank, there it is. You've got three whole blanks to fill in this morning, right? Yeah, one, two, th- oh, four. I gave you four. They'll all be up on the screen. But then you notice that on the second page, you've got these things called discussion questions. These have a wonderfully varied number of uses. First, we've asked all of our community groups to join with us in this sermon series and go deeper. What I can cover on the surface, you and your community groups can go so much deeper and look into this idea of why do we say man is broken or what is the doctrine of original sin. If you don't know what I mean by that, look it up and you can watch some things here and you've got some extra notes to learn what that means and we would love to help you. But we as a church want to go deeper in our study of the scriptures and in the little bit of time I have, I can't do that. But we believe the best way to learn isn't by you just listening to me or Pastor Stan or others. It's by reasoning together. And so you've got those discussion questions. What other uses might be to to those? Well, get together with your spouse. Answer those questions together. Maybe you've got a work group of fellow Christians, but you, you don't know how to do anything with them. 
Well, invite them. As of right now, we've begun videotaping our sermons. They'll be able to watch me, which is a scary thought. They can watch the sermon if you, even if they didn't come to church. And then you can discuss together these in a workplace Bible study. All you need is a computer and an internet connection. And who knows what God might do, not because of the strength of my preaching, but because of the truth of God's word. And we're inviting people to join us on this journey toward the risen Christ. And so I want to invite you to keep going with us as we look today at the simple question of what does it mean that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Well, we know that sin is a big deal. And I was trying to think of how do I explain this to you? And John Piper actually does it phenomenally well. Do you know the word treason? How many of you know what the word treason means? Treason means you have committed an offense against your nation, an offense that has harmed or put in danger the very people you are part of. Okay, that is ultimately treason. Does anyone know in most countries across the world what the penalty for treason is? Can anyone tell me? Death. Everybody answered pretty quickly on that. And it tends to be not negotiable. It doesn't tend to be a kind of a punishment where you can appeal and hope later on somebody changes their mind. Now, treason is dealt with in most countries quite handily. And in the countries we don't hear about how it's dealt with, it's often dealt with even more quickly. You can fill in the blanks there. Treason is punishable by death. With that in mind, let's think carefully back to Deuteronomy 6 to Romans chapter 3 and then also chapter 6, shall we? First, God has called his people, who in the New Testament were told are citizens of the Most High God, citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Okay, so our citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, God is the Most High God, and we are called to fully love him. Correct? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You with me? Front row's not sure yet. They're, They're still following along. They're still waking up. It's early. They're teenagers. Okay. If we are to fully love God as the base point of how our lives are oriented. Therefore, the base point of our loyalties and the affections of our hearts, the very basic definition of sin would be anything that does not demonstrate a love for God. The word that is often used in the scriptures is called hamartia, uh, which means missing the mark. We know in the scriptures that God has given a wonderful way with which we can live, a way that doesn't promise life will be easier. In fact, the world we find ourselves in has always been promised that as the world, those apart from God, get further from him, they will make it hard on those that love him. And so we're told that. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that the world makes evil things because they have not understood the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. They've only seen the intolerance or this or that, and they've put labels on it that just aren't at the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. So what do we do with all that? Well, we understand that all have sinned, and very few people in a church setting would argue with me on that. And if you uh, have been around any other person, you can think of lots of ways that other person has sinned, right? You didn't catch that. 
We're really good at showing how each other has sinned, aren't we? We're very comfortable pointing out that others have sinned. We're very comfortable saying, of course the world is sinful. And so are we, if we slow down and think about it. So if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and if you think back to Deuteronomy 6 or ahead to when Jesus says it, the very glory of God is illustrated in us by loving the Lord our God, Pretty simple logic shows that our sin is treason against God. If we are citizens of the Most High God, then when we choose to say your way is not the best way, that's sin and that is treason. But Mike, yeah, 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 I get your butts. They don't work. Treason is always punishable by, say it with me. Let me say this again because I want us to get this. Treason is always punishable by death. But Mike, it's not fair. That's what we always want to say. Praise the Lord it's not fair. Because if it was based on fairness, we would have to fix things ourselves. And how is the world doing it, fixing things ourselves? We seem to be struggling. We're more divided as nations than almost ever before. Uh, One uh, socio-politician has actually gone so far to say, we need a great war to unify us. How terrible is that, that politicians across the world are beginning to think that maybe we need a war to try to bring the world back together? All the horrors that that would become. Because they're wrestling with this issue. Sin is a big deal and it is breaking apart our world. Thus, when Paul in Romans chapters 1 and 2 specifically and into chapter 3 explains that the wrath of God has to be satisfied, when the world reads wrath, we think of more the the Greek and Roman gods that sit up in heaven and zap and want to punish everybody. But the wrath of God is such a different thing. It is holy, and it is complete, and it is total, and it does bring death on those who have sinned. But it's the most loving thing that can be done. Mike, what on earth do you mean the wrath of God is a loving thing? What does sin do to us? It kills us. God loves us so much that he wants to ruthlessly eliminate sin from every part of the world but he gives us the free will to make our choice whether we will follow him or not. Therefore, on our own, we simply cannot fix ourselves. What do you mean? Okay. If you have tried any sort of breaking of a habit, raise your hand. If you've ever tried to break a habit, good number of you have tried to break a habit. Uh, many of you maybe over this Lent are trying to go without something during Lent. Okay? You're about halfway in. Anybody willing to be honest on how that's going? Just, just the Lent thing? Okay, what about breaking the habit? How did that go? Everybody's shaking their head. Nobody wants to answer. It's tough, right? Time and again. Or every New Year's, whether it's Chinese New Year, uh, 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 
calendar new year, whatever. We always start with all these resolutions, right, on how this is the year. You walk into the gyms around Wampo, and they are so full for two weeks, <laughs> right? We all want to fix ourselves right up until there's a cost. It's fun, and it's exciting for about a week. Then the second week, oh, I shouldn't quit. And then the third week, oh, I'm so tired. And then the fourth week, what? Who cares? And then it's gone, and February's here. But see, on our own, we continually disappoint ourselves. How true is that of our spiritual life? Yet we keep thinking we can fix ourselves. So there had to be a better way. Sin is that big of a deal. It had to be dealt with. The wrath of God has to be appeased. And I know I'm covering a lot of ground in a quick amount of time. That's why we want you as community groups to dig deeper. And we'll give you the resources to do that. And I'm excited to go on this journey with you. But if this wind is picking up that is changing the moral fabric of society, we've seen it, we can all explain it. If we understand that... All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we can affirm that we're not pleased by it, but we understand it's true, then we need to know that there's got to be a way to absorb the wrath and bear the curse. The curse is death. From the very beginning, the origin story, Genesis, which is origins, the origin story told us that the minute humanity exercised its right that God has given us, to choose something other than himself. We exchange the truth and life of God for a lie. Death was brought into the equation. So somehow, wrath has to be absorbed, whether we do it, in which the ultimate end to us is hell. Not a popular statement, I know, but not being popular doesn't make it any less true. And we've You can look back, we've talked about hell before, but it's eternal separation from the love of God and punishment. However, someone greater can absorb the wrath of God for us. And we begin to see the story change. Galatians 3.13 says it like this. And oh, I just love reading this, and I hope you go back and read more of it. Read all of Galatians, read all of Romans. This is good stuff. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law because where there's a law, it can be broken, right? That's what, that's what is being explained there. This isn't super complex. We often read this and think, oh, it's so confusing. I don't understand. In honor of my dad, let's talk about speeding for a second. You all know that my dad has always taught me not to speed and proudly has never had a speeding ticket and I've had... Um, but... The end of the day, the law states that on Ma'an Shan Bypass, you can only go 80 kilometers an hour. Dumbest rule ever. Stupid, stupid rule. But it's still the law. And if I get caught going at a speed I deem more appropriate, the policeman can pull me over and I am punished for my sin. Correct? Same thing in the law of God. The law has been set before us. It's been written on our very hearts. You can go far away from somebody that has never heard of the Bible or the good news of Jesus Christ, yet they still have a basic definition of right and wrong. Anthropologists have never found a society without some definition of right and wrong. How amazing is that? Uh, The great uh, Pascal called it the God-shaped hole. 
We all try to wire ourselves in a way that fills the whole of God because we're looking for answers. And this is what Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says, Christ redeemed us. He paid the price for us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He absorbed the wrath of God. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentile, you and me, through Jesus Christ. So that by faith, and we're going to talk more about faith in the coming weeks, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In order to bear the curse and absorb the wrath, one greater than us had to get to work. So as you see in the scriptures, punishment was deferred for a time because God was preparing to send the only one that could absorb the wrath righteously. He who knew no sin became sin for us. How does the rest of that verse go? That we might become the righteousness of God. That things might not be that bad after all because we carry we're bathed with, we're clothed with the righteousness of God, that we become whiter than snow. The, the argument in the debate that was ca- talking about man being good, that we are to be seen as whiter than snow, that is true for those in Christ Jesus. How cool is that? Think about that. In a world where everybody knows things are messed up and the next word out of your mouth might not be appropriate to your spouse, to your child, to whoever's sitting next to you, because of Jesus, you are righteous for those in Jesus Christ, for those who've believed in him. It's an amazingly simple and profound thing. His justice, his justness, demands that sin's curse be dealt with. So let me explain, let John Stott explain the wrath of God to you in case I've gone too quickly. He says it like this. He says, it is God's settled and perfectly righteous antagonism toward evil. It's God's inability to let go of evil. He can't just let it slide. You know, as a parent, you often have to decide how much do I want to punish my kid for being 10 minutes late or whatever you might. But sin is sin in the eyes of God and it has to be dealt with. It is directed against people who have some knowledge of God through the created order, but they deliberately suppress it in order to pursue their own self-centered path. So what do we do with that? We know that the wrath of God has to be satisfied and it's Jesus who's come for us. So what's our response? Understanding that God just loves us. See, I'm not going to stop it. Are things really that bad? Because in Christ Jesus, they are not. They are full of hope and life because God just loves us. I like puns and there is one there. It's his justice that demonstrates the greatness of his love. If we could fix ourselves on our own, how big of a God would he be? But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him might not perish but have eternal, everlasting, forever loving life through the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
This is love, not that we have loved God, not that we earned it. And here's what I want to leave you with today. We cannot earn the love of God. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. We all have sinned and God's wrath is aimed at sin. He loves his people, but he hates sin and the sin has to be dealt with. Therefore, he sent his only son to deal with that sin for us, to pay the price for us to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins or to act as, you see on your notes, I put the ESV version, act as a propitiation for us. In other words, one went before us and paid the penalty on our behalf. Not only making sure we don't pay the penalty, but suffering the consequence on behalf of us. We didn't go to the cross, he did. Because of Christ, we can then love God. And we come all the way back around. Are things really that bad? Well, it depends very much on your worldview. If you have come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know that, yeah, the world is very broken. But God has a plan. And he has not left us. He has not forgotten us. And Jesus is coming back to put things right and make broken things new and whole once again. If you were apart from Jesus Christ, yeah, things are that bad and they're only going to get worse. There is your cheery announcement from Pastor Mike. And so what do we do with that? Well, this is what we do. First, we answer the question. If you, if you go to work tomorrow, or maybe you go to work this evening, and somebody's just lamenting yet again, or you go to school tomorrow, everybody, things are so bad, it's not fair, this or that, you can say a couple of things. One, yeah, you know what? It's not fair. It should be way worse. We should be punished so much more for what we do wrong, right? No, we don't like that answer. Then are things really that bad? No. And the overwhelming theme of this series, why Easter? Because Jesus. That's why. Things are not that bad because we get to give away the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So the mandate for all of you that know everything I've said, you've heard this since you were a little kid and you're tired of hearing a message on the wrath of God and our sinful state, that's okay because I want to take it a step further. I don't just want you to know that we're sinners in the hands of an angry God. Thank you, Jonathan Edwards. Great message. But take it one step further. Sinners in the hands of an angry God can be forgiven because Jesus Christ came, lived perfectly, gave his life as a ransom for many, and rose victoriously over death and sin once for all on the third day that we might have life, have it to the full, and bring everyone that would call on the name of Jesus to be saved. That's why Easter. Are things really that bad? No, because of Jesus Christ. So what are we going to do with the message? I've spelled it out as simply as I can, but it's up to us to go into all the world preaching the gospel. Why? Because this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the end of the and then the end will come. What that's alluding to is back to the prophecy that says that when the gospel's been spread out, Jesus is coming back. So keep talking. More than that, 
I bet you if you close your eyes for a minute, every single one of you right now can think of somebody that feels like there is no hope. That things really are that bad. I told you the statistic that in the month of what, January and into February, more and more kids and teenagers were killing themselves here in Hong Kong than in recent memory. They feel like there's no hope. How can we love them? It's exam season in many schools across Hong Kong, and those kids are so stressed. Yet over the Easter break, we get the privilege of investing in at least 60, and I bet you more are coming to care for them and show them that they are loved and have great value. I know it's a couple of days of your time or a couple of hours each day, but I say we get the privilege of meeting this school. Why would we not want to get involved in the community that lives and serves here? Right? Don't just show up on Sunday. That's not church. Let's just fill in a seat. I mean, it makes me feel good that people fill the seats, but I'm not doing a very good job if that's it. Show up and be part of caring for kids. I can't teach. No problem. Help us set up. Help us pray. Help us serve snacks. Sugar them up so the teacher has more to do. Just come. Be part of the lives of these students. Maybe you're one that speaks Cantonese because guess what? I do not. But they might have a question that you could uniquely answer. 60 kids already eager. Well, their parents want them to be eager to learn English. And we've been invited to say that things aren't that bad because of Jesus Christ. Would you come with us on the journey as we seek to help fund an eye hospital in Congo, as we continue to support the work going north of the border, as we continue to invest in this school and in Christian Alliance International School and other schools all over the place, as we continue to say, God, Your wrath has been satisfied through Jesus Christ, so please help us to give away your hope. Because Easter is here because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, please, please make us a people that show the world there's so much more to life than this. Please make us a people that understand the depth and the depravity and the brokenness of sin as we see in the first three chapters of Romans. But help us not to camp out there, but to see that there's been hope given because Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and rose victoriously and is coming back. Lord, Jesus paid it all. Help us to live out the truth of that wonderful statement. Amen.